Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to travel to sunny California. We're going to talk to Elliot to find out if you are a lucky entrepreneur and you came to some wealth, what are you supposed to do with it? And how are you supposed to deal with it in an intelligent, smart way so that you don't lose it, for example, and also maybe that you multiply it even more. So welcome, Elliot. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me on, Rudy. I'm great. Wonderful. So can you briefly introduce yourself? How did you become a trusted advisor to entrepreneurs and their and the entrepreneurs who came to some wealth, obviously? I appreciate that. So the name of my company is called Prosperity Financial Group, and I've been doing this now for 30 years. We have a California-based company with almost about 400 million, a national company, about the same numbers. And bulk of our clients are all entrepreneurs. This is the third company that I've started. I was actually, I think, the fourth company I've started. So my language has always been, let's start it, let's build it, let's sell it. It's very entrepreneurial. I've learned, oh, I want to call it the hard ways of doing that. I've learned, have many as entrepreneurs learning lessons. Rudy, entrepreneurs never fail. They just have some painful learning lessons. And I'm no different than them. And so because of starting different companies in all different industries, I've been able to create a language that entrepreneurs understand because I understand them because I'm one of them, not some third party, not some kid right out of college saying to my parents, give me all of your contacts, which is how a lot of our industry has been built on family contacts. I didn't have any family contacts. I did. I made my contacts through entrepreneurs, through business owners, for people that understand that they're creating something out of nothing and they want to talk to somebody that gets it. Wonderful. So let's talk about it a bit more. How would you describe Prosperity Financial Group? What does it do? What's your mission or what's your goal? So we are a wealth management company that deals with entrepreneurs and high net worth individuals, which many times are the same people. Our goal is to help people use their money effectively. We have a phrase that says, if it's money, it's personal. We own that phrase. If it's money, it's personal. And it is. So The first thing we want to do with entrepreneurs is figure out what the money's for. So for some entrepreneurs that are in the early beginning phase of their business, then all the money is going to be really used for growing their entity. For entrepreneurs that are in the middle to latter side of of the business, they've accumulated wealth. And now they're trying to decide where does this money go? Where does my business go? What's my succession, succession plan? What's going to happen here? to this baby is, am I going to give it to my children? Am I going to sell it? Am I going to incur this unbelievable amount of taxes doing either one? Can my kids run it? Is that the right thing to do? That's the middle part of it. Again, there's wealth involved with it. That could be from wealth in the equity markets to wealth in the stock market to wealth in their business. And you want to unlock the wealth. It's like having equity in your home. 
you don't sell your home, it's just debt equity. It's the same thing in your business. And the third part of it is now what I think is actually the, the most important phase in life is that you've had success. Now what? Now what are you going to do? Are you going to finally get an opportunity to enjoy what that money, what the success was, and having some passions to enjoy it? And that means, are you going to be study somebody that's going to travel? So let's put together a game plan. Are you going to be somebody that wants to play golf three days a week, that wants to go to cooking school, that wants to take their life to a whole new level? Are you the person that just wants to spend time with their, grand, with their grandchildren? Because that's not something that grabs you. I just was with some incredibly successful people over the weekend in Napa County. We did high-end wine and food tasting in Napa County. And their thing was, why does anybody come to Napa? Why does anybody care about this? Can't we just, can't I just go to a Ritz-Carlton in London and or Paris? I don't need all this other stuff. And that's, for them, what they learned about themselves is they're Ritz-Carlton and Four Seasons people. They're not adventure people at all. And so we want to make sure that our role as wealth advisors, as financial planners, is to help the client figure out what their role is in retirement or as they come into retirement. So you're advising entrepreneurs who came into some money. Obviously, you don't advise them how to spend it. That's why they can just read Financial Times. There's a weekend supplement called How to Spend It. You're saying that some people who come to them from, let's say, incumbent advisors, they don't really speak their language. Let's rephrase it and zoom in on this. What is the core problem that you're focusing on? What do you see as an issue? Do you see founders who don't know much about financial planning or they just spend it all and that they don't have any more money? What is the core of the problem? So most entrepreneurs work eight to 14 hours a day to build this business up. There's no time to do a lot besides that. A little bit of time in a family, but it is almost impossible, Rudy, to be a great business owner, a great father, and a great husband or spouse at the same time. One of them has to give. And it's almost always either being a spouse or being a parent. One of them has to give. So when you look back on life, now you're 60 something years old and you realize I wish it was a better parent for this reason. I wish it was a better spouse and maybe I wouldn't be divorced one, two or three times. Our job now is to find out how to help you enjoy what you wish you did that you now can do. So for many of my clients, the men are now single or the women are single and they don't want to be. They wish they weren't. They realize that they put their marriage third. And so we want to help them enjoy it. And they want to, we help them find people, talk to people to enjoy life and find out their passions, define their passions. That's the hard part, Rudy, is you need to define one's passions uh, because if they don't, then retirement is about watching CNN or Fox or Sky or something, getting mad at the TV, throwing things at the TV. And that's not, that's no way to retire. And so the average retiree in this country spends four to six hours a day in front of the television. And most of that is spent on news. So you can imagine how that really negatively affects the mindset of retirees in today's world. And I know because I get those phone calls, they're mad at me for the same reason. They're just mad at me on the left or mad at me on the right, but they're mad at society and politics and so forth. Our job is to get you away from that so you can enjoy your passions. 
All right. So following up on that, still, if you say that something's got to give and often it's family, what about the money? What's the importance of financial planning and planning for retirement? And what are the common mistakes entrepreneurs making when they're gaining wealth and why sticking to their financial plan is so difficult? Every entrepreneur has a set of discipline or they wouldn't have their business anymore. But what we fail to understand as humans is that having a discipline in your business is not, does not translate as to having a discipline in every aspect of your life. Because if that was true, every entrepreneur would be in great shape, perfect body, and seeing the doctor to make sure they're all healthy exactly on time. And, and I know it's not the real world. So that means they lack the discipline except in their business. When you have a financial game plan and you have somebody that's going to help you every time you get together, once, twice a year, four times a year, make sure you're on track to reach an actual outcome, to sell the business, to transfer the business, to create money for the next generation, to do it in a tax-free way or a tax-deferred way, creative solutions in life, then you're going to do be much better at what you do. And it's no different for somebody that's looking for a, an exercise trainer at a gym. You want that trainer not just to say, you need to do 25 more push-ups, Rudy. Why don't you do 25 more push-ups? You want the trainer asking you, how are you eating? What are you doing? How do we get in better shape? What are you doing on weekends so you don't gain five pounds every weekend by eating falafels and gyros and going to parties and stuff, pizza parties? How do we do that? And that's what we do as financial engineers and financial planners for the person is we hold their plan to the fire by keeping them on track with their plan. All right. So you mentioned selling a business and a lot of entrepreneurs, when they talk about exit, it's either a sale or IPO, right? But to sell a business, you need to have it in the right kind of shape for a sale, right? So what are your tips on how to get your business in top shape? and ready for a sale. So the first thing we need to do is decide what's the plan for the business. If you have children that want to take it over in the next generation, and I'm personally not the biggest fan of that, but if you do, that's just great. Then we need to put a plan together to educate the next next generation on your business because most children see the results of your business and the life you're now enjoying in your 60s or late 50s but they don't see what you did in your 30s and early 40s to work seven days a week and empty the garbage cans and do that. They don't see that. They just see the beauty of it. If your goal is to sell the business and create this great wealth magnet that you're going to do in your life, then we don't plan that out six months in advance. We plan begin to plan that out two to three years in advance. So if somebody is 62, we say, look, at age 65, given the economy, I'd like to put my company up for sale. We could start working with them and finding valuations and finding attorneys and finding a CPA, all those things that are necessary to make sure that you can cash out with the best deal and the highest money in your pocket with the highest, the lowest unknowns that always happens when you sell the business. So that's the key is plan in advance. And when you sell that business, make sure in two or three years from now, We've had a discussion about taxes right now because we want to know what's going to be happening and how to defer or eliminate as many taxes as possible. 
All right. And you mentioned also a lot of these entrepreneurs, they have families and there may be family discussions going on, succession, like in that TV show, hopefully not, right? So how do you do it when you don't have a successor from your family, but you still want to preserve your legacy as well? So it's not only about enjoying life in retirement, but it's also about preserving your legacy. Can you help the entrepreneurs with that as well? Sure. Let's think about your legacy for a moment. If your legacy is based on your company, then you may want to bring in a general manager to run it. If your legacy is based on selling it to someone and cashing out and then creating a legacy for your family and for charity, that's a whole nother plan, whole different plan completely on that. Right. And that is different for everyone involved. So that's important. But if your legacy is to keep the name of your company going and you have no heirs, that is definitely a challenge because you're going to have to convince a buyer that your name is worth keeping. Now, that would be great if your name was Band-Aid and you're selling it and you, don't, and you want to keep that name going. But for most companies, they might only get a three-year plan on their name. They're going to have to be okay with that because if they've got to keep your name going, that's a conversation worth having. So maybe Rudy, we're going to say that my company's prosperity financial group, a Rudy company. Okay. That's one way of doing it. But what if Rudy doesn't need the name of my company? He just wants my assets. That's another type of sale. And I've got to be okay with it. If my goal is money or my goal is legacy. So flexibility is another thing. And yeah, at the end of the day, it's business, right? Then even the biggest names in this business were taken over and sometimes the brands disappeared. So what can you do, right? I'm a big oh. fan. We do in my business, which is in Northern California, we spend a silly amount of money on building our brand prosperity financial group. Tremendous amount of money on that. And I probably get a buyout casual offer. At least it used to be a weekly. Now it's probably monthly. And they say the same thing to me. They say, well, you have done one heck of a job building your brand up. You've got so many people going to your website, so many people reading your LinkedIn, so many people looking at your social media. And we spend a lot of money and time on that because we have our own marketing department. So we're going to just take you over on an asset sale and we don't want the name of your company. You can just close your office. What that tells me is they don't care at all about the brand prosperity financial group. They're just acquiring clients and dollars. Now, if that's all I care about, fine. But, if, but I'm not that person. In actuality, I'm a person that cares about the brand. I would want somebody to say, I want to buy your brand. I love your brand. And we're going to make it, you know, our company, a whole, your company, a wholly owned subsidiary, but we're going to keep your brand going because your clients like your brand. Can you help us with the transition of your brand? That's something as a business owner that would interest me. But again, that depends on who's selling the company. Absolutely. Understood. So let's give people some inspiration as well, because we started, as you said, when the second generation of the family is looking at their parents and they're all wealthy and successful, they see the beauty of it. So we started with the success, right? The people who come to you and you're preparing their business for sale and preparing for retirement, etc. But let's rewind and maybe inspire people with how you've done it, because you said you didn't inherit the contacts from the, from the, your parents, etc. You started on your own. So how have you started and scaled up your business? And then we can talk about some lessons, how to actually 
build those businesses so you can actually come to somebody like you later on and talk about selling it. Sure. And there are three main, three very different businesses that I've worked with. When I came out of, shortly out of college after being an accountant, I started an industrial packaging business from scratch. And that company grew over the next five years to about a $5 million, 35-person company. And I knew it needed a large inflow of cash, like so many business owners. It needed a large inflow of cash. And the cost of that cash for me was too high. So I ended up doing an asset sale. I sold the clients and all the assets of the company. I retained the liabilities. I paid them off over the next 12 months, depending on what kind of liability it was. And I walked away. Everybody walked away being made whole. And the company, the products continued, and the name of the company continued, but I didn't. And now the company, and at that, and then shortly thereafter, the company got folded in. That was an asset sale completely. The second business I owned was an environmental cleanup company. And I that was a national company as well that sold scrubbers, industrial water filters, residential air and water, things in that were remediation. It worked in that business very different. And again, most when we finally decided it was enough of that, it was an asset sale, not a stock sale. Now I'm an S-Corp. I would like my company to be, if I were to sell it, and a stock sale, somebody buys the whole company or a partial lock, stock, and barrel of the company that's a much greater value where you keep the company going. Because again, if they only buy the asset sale, do an asset sale, then they only care about my clients and their assets. Sure. So every business out there is usually going to be an asset sale or an equity sale, a stock sale. And they have different taxations, completely different taxations. For instance, at S-Corp, the majority of my money that I sell the company for will come to me as capital gains. If I was a C-Corp, some of the money might come to me in dividends after income. It might be double taxed in different ways. So you really want to make sure you're doing the right thing. I always recommend you you have an accountant, a CPA in place, or you're in Europe, a European version of a high-end accountant, and you have a succession-based attorney, not usually your family attorney, but somebody who deals with succession planning and selling a company every day of the week because there's, you need somebody to protect your interest. If you don't, and I've seen this happen, then the buyer will protect your interest after they protect your own, their own. Absolutely. Makes sense. Makes sense. But coming back to that point with your most recent business, you said you started on your own. How did you get your first hundred clients or so? Because a lot of times I see proposals for a platform business. Everybody wants to have a platform business and they think they'll have Amazon tomorrow. But to get the first 100 clients or so, it's not that easy. How did that work out for you? Rudy, I moved to New- from New Jersey to California in 1993 and started up here and I knew nobody. So what I did, because sometimes our industry is filled with cold calling, and although that's a dying part of, the, of our business, it really is. That's all we did in the early days. And so I would buy the local paper out here, in this case, the Contra Costa Times, any firm that advertised their business, that's catering, law, accounting, restaurants, funeral homes, places that advertised in the newspaper, I would call them up. And I'd say, my name is Elliot Callen. I'm new to Northern California. I'm looking at your ad on page eight in the Contra Costa Times or the San Ramon Times. And I would say, can I network with you? 
I have clients that may want your services in the future. And you would be surprised how many people said yes to me. But I could tell you that I led the office in people that said no to me, <laughs> no's. But it didn't matter because we focused on the yeses and we slowly started to build a business. Now, I'm going to tell you that it didn't come easy, Rudy. There was a time in my first year that I could have gone to McDonald's and gotten a raise. It was really slow. But perseverance, tenacity, and I had a vision in there that I kept relying on my vision to build the business and do what I wanted to do with it one day. Today, the business is slightly different than my original vision, but it's within range of it. And I never lost track of that, where we're going, what are we doing, and how we doing, how we're doing it. And I have still companies, still clients that are my clients since the first year I've been in business. Great stuff. You talked about all the key buzzwords, which are not just cliche, but these are absolutely essential for building a business, right? So tenacity is one of them. But I think one other word that is quite quite typical for you is resilience, right? And I know that you have overcome some personal personal tragedy as well, and you were able to persevere and still run your company and then start the charity as well, which is now a well-known national organization. So do you want to share a little bit about that as well? I would. Let me tell you first how we started it, because you raised a good point. I really appreciate you doing that. I have always been a charitably inclined person. That's because of my parents. They instilled that in us that you have to give to charity. You have to take care of people less fortunate. So I've been president of a local synagogue, been president of the Boys and Girls Clubs, been involved in American Cancer Society. And in 2015, my son took his life. He was a sophomore at the University of Montana in Missoula. He at about 12:30 morning, no drugs, no alcohol, he walked up to the highway and jumped in front of an oncoming truck. And the next day, Rudy, we were frantically looking for him because something was wrong and his phone was turned off. We kept leaving him messages, call us when you turn your phone on, call us when you turn your phone on. And at 6.30 night, Federal Express showed up with a six-page suicide note telling us that he was dead. And we began a process of going up to Montana to claim his body. And I read, kept reading on page one of the suicide note, first main paragraph that said, Mom and Dad, I've been thinking about this for a long time. I never would have asked for your help. I never would have told you how I felt. And I never would have taken your help. And I knew on the way back from Montana, Rudy, that we had to do something to stop this devastation and destruction that's happening to us. We had to stop it from happening to other families because we were the last one to know what was really going on. His friends didn't know it. He didn't share it. It was just a ticking time bomb of depression. And so we created this charity called A Brighter Day or a brighter day.info is the website. We did that in 2016. So here we are seven years later, and we have between five and 10,000 people a month that go to our website, mostly families, many teens that go to our website to get resources, which are free because we write original content every other week for parents. We have a teen survival toolkit, a parent survival toolkit. We have a 24-7, all 50 states in the U.S. teen crisis hotline that teens can, any time of the night, can say, or in class, can say, 
help. And the majority of teens always ask the same question, Rudy, am I the only one feeling this way? And then it takes in the U.S. six to 10 weeks for a teen to get some counseling or a parent to get counseling. And if your teen is hurting themselves, six to 10 weeks is a lifetime. Because if they go through our website, we can get them live Zoom counseling in seven days, free for the first three months. And so we created these resources and people are using up and we're saving lives. We're having an impact. We're making a difference. We just did a big golf outing this few days ago to raise money. We don't raise money through what we do with teens and parents. We raise money separately because you have to do that with charity. But that is something that I and so many people are passionate about is saving lives and having an impact on stress. And my personal goal before I retire is to have every teen in the United States have our teen crisis hotline at their fingertips so they can ask for help before they do what my son did. So sorry to hear what you have been through. On the other hand, well done on how you turned it around to help others, but obviously an unspeakable tragedy. Sorry to hear that and hope that through your work, you can help many others to prevent that. So to wrap up, I just have two easy questions for you. First of all, do you have any favorite business book or any other resource for further learning related to what we just discussed? Oh boy, I have several favorite business books out there. Art three, Stroke. top three then. <laughs> <laughs> My first book is Think and Grow Rich. I read that when I was young. And The Greatest Salesman in the World by Og Mandino. Those are two books when I was very young that I read and they just got me so motivated to never stop and always do good. So in there is the principles of how to make money, how to take care of your family, how to transfer wealth, and how to take care of charity. And they do them in very different ways, storytelling ways. And I love them. They're basic books. They've been around forever. <laughs> They're both older than me. <laughs> so I know they've been around forever. Oh, but they seem to work. So that's great. That's great. Elliot, so to, to wrap up, what's the best way to reach out and what kind of people would you like to hear from most? Let me give you my cell number if I could in my email. Um, from a cell number, it's in the United States, 510-206-1103. And my email address is Elliot, E-L-I-O-T, two L's and one T, at prosperityfinancialgroup.com. And the website is prosperityfinancialgroup.com. Great stuff. Thank you so much. And good luck to you, Elliot, and Prosperity Financial Group. Rudy, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.